0: This is The Skate Podcast, talking Bruins hockey with WEEI Bruins writers Scott McLaughlin, Bridget Prue, and Brian DeFelice. Lace them up for some beast talk. It's Odyssey's The Skate Pod on WEEI.
1: Welcome into episode 238 of The Skate Podcast. I'm Brian DeFelice, joined by Bridget Prue and Scott McLaughlin. Uh, The Bruins fell to the Red Wings the other night in Detroit, 5-4 final. A uh, bit of a sloppy game. A lot of one of those games where the officiating was was heavily involved um, on both sides. But um, Bridget and Scott, hope you guys are doing well. Had a good weekend. Let's jump into the opening shifts here.
0: Yeah, so my opening shift is just that missing half of your regular defense score. A lot more noticeable in Game 2 than Game 1. Uh, against Toronto on Thursday night, Bruins overcame it very well and beat a good Toronto team on saturday more noticeable uh mason Lori after a great first game in the nhl struggled to bid in his second game also in fairness to him had a couple tough penalty calls against him Um, i'm not convinced that either of his penalties was actually even a penalty but that's that was sort of the way that this game went but he had a couple tough moments even besides the penalties um Parker Weatherspoon, I think, was at fault on Detroit's third goal. He wound up playing a very limited role, certainly in the third period and really the second half of the game. Uh, you know, Ian Mitchell was fine, but didn't really notice him getting as involved offensively as I think he. His strength when he's playing well is clearly contributing offensively and being active uh, on the rush and in the offensive zone. And I, I just don't think he really got much of a chance to do that. I think he spent a lot of time in his own zone. So, yeah, the Bruins give up five goals for the first time this season, um, give up two power play goals for the first time, three five-on-five five goals first time they've done that. So you just notice some breakdowns. Probably wasn't Linus Allmark's best game behind them either. But, um, yeah, that's that's my show. It was just team defense wasn't there and in the absence of, McAvoy, Grizzly, and Forbert was noticeable.
2: Scotty, that was a long shift. I'm, you must be winded. Um, <laughs> um, I actually – I mean, we all get really to Can get my bio steal? Yeah, 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 hurry up and take some of that. Um, so I think all of us really have a lot of thoughts on the defense. Um, I have a little bit to say about the first line of Coyle, DeBrusque, and Marshawn. I thought that of the – offensive lines that that was the map that was the trio that had the strongest game. I think, um, you started to see the chemistry that could be there. I'm not sure if it's, uh, and we can talk about this later, what the best line combinations are, because, uh, we talked about just before we get on here, maybe the bottom six was stagnant, even though the top six looked, um, to be flowing fairly well. And I thought that that Marshawn line looked good. The the set setup on the coil goal was really nice. Um, one of the bright spots
1: in the loss for me uh, you know it's 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 one of those nights where you sit back and you say oh wow I guess the Bruins aren't gonna go undefeated this year in regulation uh, they finally obviously lost their first game regulation and while we all knew that was inevitable the questions for me naturally that follow are how does this team now bounce back H- how is this team going to be characterized this year after after defeats in regulation tough loss is where you're in it but you on the wrong, wrong side of the scoreboard, will this team have that, that punch-back ability that they had last year uh, after a loss and and not allow uh, losses to compile into, into losing streaks? And so obviously there's, there's takeaways from the game as to why they, they lost. As I said, it was inevitable, um, but it's, it's a tough stretch of hockey this month. And so, uh, let, yeah, now let's see. We've seen this Bruins team so far through October kind of win games Sometimes games they didn't really play great in. I feel like they're getting outshot a lot this year in games. Um so October was kind of their month when they even when they weren't playing great, they were still getting wins. And now they get their first regulation loss of the season. Let's just see how this team's makeup is um, through adversity.
0: Yeah, and to that point, they have a huge challenge when it comes to bouncing back because Monday night they're in Dallas to face a very good stars teams. And we know they still don't have Grizzlick. He's on long-term IR. They don't have McAvoy. You know, current he's still appealing his suspension. There's as of recording this Sunday night, there's not been any ruling. Um, but even first off, I as I said on our last podcast, I don't expect anything to get cut off. Even if something does, it's only gonna be one game. So no matter what, he's gonna miss Monday's game. And Forbert still day to day, he did travel with the team, which indicates to me that they think there's at least a chance he was going to play on this road trip. Obviously, he missed the first game. Um, so I guess we'll see if he's ready for Dallas. And even though, you know, as we've talked about plenty, like, I don't think Forbert helps you all that much at five on five, but he can't help you on the penalty kill. And as I mentioned, we did see the Bruins, for the first time this season, give up multiple power play goals in one game. Um, obviously, part of that is that they were shorthanded eight times because there were just a bajillion penalty calls. Um, not all of those are full power plays, some were like a few seconds here and there, but uh, you know, we, we did see there the Detroit power play sort of did a good job breaking down the Bruins penalty kill. and, ended up with some scene passes that the Bruins are usually I would say early in the season the Bruins were giving some of those up and the goaltending was bailing them out then they tightened up they weren't giving them up and now we saw saw that kind of come back as a problem on Saturday.
2: Yeah, no, the penalty kill uh, Forber could we we know how Forbert could help the penalty kill. Um luckily for the Bruins, he seems to be close to coming back and so they're not going to be down three defensemen for much longer but as we talked about Grizzly is going to be the longest um McAvoy I don't think is going to get any games taken off his suspension so that means um the Dallas game and the Islanders game he'll probably miss both and be back for Montreal uh, I thought that we asked a question last podcast how sustainable is it to have Witherspoon Mason Lorai and Ian Mitchell on your like as fill-ins and could the Bruins win all four games with those two guys or those three guys in there and the answer is no Uh, they lost Um, and there were certain times in the game where you could really see the lack of experience I thought the third period was really rough for Witherspoon uh, he was on the ice for two of those goals and Detroit's comeback and out of position and just making the wrong read. He had an assist on the coil goal in the second period. And he looked good on that. He, he won the puck along the boards, made an outlet ends up with Nebraska and the coil for the goal. But then he just had these breakdowns and and that was it for the Bruins. I mean, they headed into that third period winning and then some rough shifts for him with Shattenkirk as his partner. And it just did not, it it didn't look good. Uh, It was, easy to see how that could get exposed.
1: Yeah, that, that stretch in the third period, they were Detroit had three goals in a matter of minutes, really. That that's something that you just don't see if the Bruins are at full health on defense. That's just, that's just, you know, AHL defenseman getting, getting exposed. Um, really. I mean, the, the Dylan Larkin goal uh, with a spoon, just, you know, you can't you, as a right defense, you, you can't be on the, you know, five feet from Shattenkirk on the left side. Like that's just in transition. It's, it's, it's just the wrong wrong play, and you don't have the speed to to match Larkin. So, yeah, it, it's just yeah, like like defense is the strength of their team, no doubt about it. Defense and goaltending, their defensive depth is being tested right now with with three regulars out of the lineup. Um, but shifting to 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 Scott's opening take with Lori, what did what did you two see out of Lori? Uh, in Toronto, because I haven't had a chance to discuss the Toronto game with you guys, but w- what did what did he do well in Toronto that he just couldn't do uh, against Detroit?
0: Well, I think if you start in his own zone, I that against Toronto after he he did bobble a couple breakouts like very early in the Toronto game and then was really clean the rest of the way and consistently starting transition opportunities. Uh, I thought against Detroit he had more. Um, rough breakouts or just trying to force plays that weren't there. I thought he struggled to get as involved offensively, um, which was certainly a strength against Toronto as well. Uh, Down the stretch, Montgomery was throwing him out there for like almost every offensive zone shift because he kept making things happen. And against Detroit Montgomery threw him out for a lot of those ozone shifts again, but he just wasn't as involved or as noticeable or making, as many plays. And then obviously the um, Detroit's fifth goal, you know, Andrew Cobb just really outmuscles muscles, along the boards gets position on him, holds him, holds him off to get the zone injury. Um, and then I, I did think Ian Mitchell was a little bit at fault as well. I thought he gave JT Confer way too much of a gap. Um, Confer gets a shot off that hits the, Hits the post and then cops there to bury the rebound. Just again, beat beat Lori to the puck. You know, a little bit of a fortunate bounce went right to him. But uh, that that was a tough play for Lori too. And like I said, on on the box score, it's going to look even worse because he also had two penalties in the in the third period, one that led to a goal against. I again, like I said, I thought both were marginal calls at best. One's a hook where um, I think it was either cop or comfort. Those two should not be on the same team because I just get them confused all the time. Um, like chicken winged and, you know, grabbed a stick under his elbow to hold it there. And then the, the second one, Laura like nudges Michael Rasmussen and Rasmussen just collapses into the boards and, and hits his face on the dash in the process, which made it look worse. But like, in my mind, it was really Rasmussen's doing. Like, I, there's no way the, the contact Laura made caused him to, to flop that hard.
2: Did you, did you hear what Brick said? <laughs> he said, it's a pushing call, like a pushing penalty. Cause it was in a full cross check. It was just, a. it was barely contact. And yeah, the one where he loses his stick, it got Those are the ones that bother me too. Like, okay, clearly the other guy is making it look much worse than what it was. And I will say Larkin had a play in, the, I think it was in the first period where he acted like he died Drew a penalty and then, like, he was on the ice for a while. And there was a lot of kind of like that fake, I don't know, more of like a soccery feel to it during different parts. And that's one of the things about hockey that I always say is better than other sports. You don't usually see that, but I feel like there was some of that in the Detroit game for sure. Um, I will say, to answer your question, Brian, the big difference from the Toronto game to the Detroit game, he wasn't paired with Brendan Carlo in the Detroit game. And he was paired with Brendan Carlo for a majority of the Toronto game. And I like that pairing. And they ended up going this week or this game against Detroit with putting Carlo and Lindholm on the same pairing where I thought it worked best when they were separate. And you kind of spread out your top two defensemen rather than stick them together. I know Scott, you're like looking up what the matchup was for who they were getting sent out against. And that's probably the reasoning for it but I just felt like you gave Lorai a safety net uh, with Carlo there on his on his side you got these two big guys I felt like they were working well together I just liked the way that that combination looked and then you move him with some of the less experienced guys and even I know Shattenkirk's been in the league a long time but in the Bruins system he hasn't been so you're you're moving him around with with people that I think he's less comfortable playing with than than somebody like Brendan Carlo, who we mentioned is probably having the best stretch of his career. Put him with someone who needs help.
1: Yeah, that's a great point, and and I, I'm glad you bring up Carlo because I think I think a lot of people are saying the same thing, and that's that what you just mentioned, Bridget. He's had the best start to his career, and it's just it's just he just seems to uh, be a little bit more physically. Demanding out there a little bit uh, using his size um, to be a little bit more imposing, a little bit more of a leader, a physical presence. It's not, I mean, he's, uh, you look at Brandon Carlos career. He's always been a, a great defensive player. I mean, his, his, his career plus minus is through the roof for, for a 26 year old player. I think he was like plus 44 last year or something like that. Um, career. Yeah, it's right here. He's a, a career uh, plus one Oh seven. So like, obviously a lot of that system based, but he's always been, a very dependable defenseman, but he just seems to have taken that next step from a, from a leadership perspective.
0: Yeah. I mean, Bridget, you touched on, but I do think it was first off. I mean, Laura and Shattenkirk were together basically the second half of the Toronto game. And, and they did look good together. Um, And Montgomery had done that because he wanted Lindholm and Carlo out against the Matthews line, which he thought was, winning too many of its shifts. And I think Detroit, he wanted them out against the the Larkin Debrinket Brinkett line. And even on the road, he was able to get that matchup a lot, able to get Lindholm and Carlo out against Larkin and Debrinket, Brinkett. But to your point, like Laura and Shattenkirk weren't as good together Saturday as they were Thursday. So you do wonder like at some point, you know, should he have gone to Laura Carlo Lindholm Shattenkirk, whatever. And you know, maybe for like a tough D zone draw, you can still go Lindholm Carlo. Um but yeah, because then then you ended up with like a sort of a rotation where Weatherspoon was playing sparingly in the third period. So then you'd you'd get some Lori Mitchell shifts, some Mitchell Shattenkirk shifts. And it's like that bottom three was kind of rotating through. So it seems it seemed hard for any of them to really find a rhythm. Um while you know Linton Carlo got the the toughest matchups. Uh, and quickly just to correct myself, I think I said Laura's two penalties were in the third period, they were both in the second period.
1: Yeah, so I mean we'll 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 continue to see his trial here. It sounds like he's one and one so far. <laughs> um, but again, the team look when you give up five goals, the team wasn't all that great defensively either.
2: He still has the most upside of three, I think um even though like he had he had the two polar like games, right? He was really good. Um, he showed a lot of his upside against Toronto, which is a, it's a tough team to play against. Um, and those are tough guys to, that you're defending against. but um I think he still has the most upside so because we're still throughout this time until we get to see McAvoy come back. Um, and Grizzly come back, there's somebody that's going to stick around. Um, so, like, there's there's room for one of these guys to stick around for a little bit. And I, I don't know if you guys have a, a preference as of yet or you still want to watch the way that Mitchell works and Lori and and I don't think Witherspoon's going to be the one to stay around, but um, yeah. I still think that Lori, has the most upside. And if he gets back to the way he played against Toronto, then he, he'd probably be the one sticking around a little bit longer.
1: I don't doubt it at all. That's, that's exactly who I would choose. Uh, the upside is, I mean, he's, he, he's, he's the guy you want going forward, right? He He's, he's a top four fixture for this team. You know, if not full time this year, like for the next decade, like he's the guy that you're circling, not the other two. So and for good reason, and yeah, what you saw against Toronto the way you know the way he can he can create offense and join the rush and you know c- you know be mobile at the top of the blue line in the offensive zone like and just find passing lanes and you know the the defensive side will will continue to grow, but you know the offensive side that he has you know you just can't teach that,
0: yeah, I mean he he has to be the one to to stick around until at least until Grizzly comes back, and if he plays well, then he stays in the lineup all year. Um, Grizzlick is out and through Thanksgiving. Uh, the first game he would be eligible to return is that Saturday after Thanksgiving down in New York. Um, so yeah, Lowry should be the one to get the extended look. He's the only one that can handle a top four role out of that group. Like, you're not, you're obviously not giving Parker Wetherspoon top four minutes, you're not giving Ian Mitchell top four minutes. And I don't like, yeah, forward should be back soon, but. I don't like the idea of forward in a top four role. Like he should be, if he's playing, he should be third pairing PK specialist and that's it. That's all I really want Derek forward to be. So yeah, you, you keep giving Lori opportunities and um, unless he has like three, four, five rough games in a row. And it's like, uh, you know what? Like we're, we're clearly like hurting him by continuing to throw him out there. Let's get him back to Providence. Unless that happens, like, you you give him the opportunities. You you see what you have in him because, again, the upside is he plays well. We see more of him playing the way he played against Toronto, and now you have a top-four defenseman going forward, not just next year and beyond, but this year. Like he, the, Then the conversation shifts to who's coming out of the lineup, out of Forbert, Grizzlik, and Shattenkirk, and we, we can talk about that if that's how this plays out, but. In my mind, if Loride plays well through this stretch, like he's he's sticking around and he's sticking around in a top four role.
2: Yeah, I, and it was just a weird game too. Like there was not a lot of flow to it. It was kind of a hard hockey game to watch if you really think about all the penalties and the frustration that that was causing players. And it was not an ideal game to begin with. Lori still got the second most amount of ice time of anyone bes- behind Lindholm. Um, even considering the fact he was in the box twice, he still got a lot of minutes. Um, I don't think that after this game, he, I, I, if you think about it, who played a worse game, Witherspoon, Mitchell, or Lori, in Detroit? Who, like, if you were to rank one, two, three. I
0: would, I would say Witherspoon had the worst game. I think... Laura made more mistakes than Mitchell. Obviously, as you mentioned, he was, he was out there more. He got tougher matchups. He has the puck and his stick more. So like, there's more opportunities to make mistakes, but I don't know. I, like again, Mitchell, I just thought was kind of just invisible and with the defenseman that's almost neither good nor bad. Um, other than, like I said, maybe having a bad gap on that one goal, but, um, yeah, I mean, none, none of them had a good game, I'll
1: I'll say that. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I mean, ultimately for me, it's, you know, Mitchell and Witherspoon, they're just a guy. The Bruins want Lorai to be the guy, like along with like McAvoy, like now and in the future. So I just – I don't think even taking one-game snapshots and comparing them, even if, even if Witherspoon and Mitchell had amazing games and Lorai sucked, it's it doesn't – you know, you're talking about a blue-chip prospect and a couple of journeymen really. So – um. Yeah, I mean, it, another interesting thing, Bridget. You mentioned it was a tough game to watch. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to do this thing where I don't get worked up about officiating. I've, I, over the last few years, I've just accepted every game. It sucks for every team. Um, but boy, the situational awareness and desire to just be seen at the end of that game by the by the officials was absurd. I mean, I've never seen a team down a goal with the goalie pulled or about to pull the goalie, whatever, and get called for two minor infractions to go down on a five on three. And you look at the, you look at the calls and it's like, huh, what, what'd you just call like the passion Act trip, the, Ch- the, the Charlie coil um, hold. It's like, what are you guys doing? Like talk about just like from a product pr- perspective, you just took a five, four game and now fans of both teams know the outcome. Now Detroit now wins. Like you just made it five on three with a minute 50 to go. And it's like, come on. Um, so that was pretty and, tough to watch.
2: And we've, we haven't seen Jim Montgomery super frustrated in his entirety of his first year. Cause that season was going so well. This is probably the angriest we've ever seen him behind the bench. He got called for of officials after the game for whatever he was yelling and it was probably less what he was saying and more the fact that he was screaming at them the entire game because they were they're messing up the entire game. So he gets that call. And at that point, who cares? Because you can't go down more than five on three. So just keep, like, at that point, it was not kind of incentivized to just however many penalties you feel like committing because it wasn't going to make a difference. Game was over and you can't send anyone else to the box. So Marshawn gets in there. I don't know. It was a whole mess.
0: Yeah, that was clearly a on Montgomery's part a culmination of the whole night. And I think it, I, honestly, like, I feel like it was like an intentional effort to get a penalty to make sure he made his point known. Um Yeah, I mean the two late ones, like they I do think they both were technically penalties. Like Pasternak was a trip, and in fairness, like they had called a couple other trips that were just guys getting their uh stick under someone's skate um so i sort of feel like they had to call that one coils was he does like reach out and grab i think it was cider but it was it's still a soft call for me like you don't have to call it you see that a lot like anytime one guy is kind of jumping around another there's usually some sort of little tug there or something and yeah, I, I definitely don't think they had to call that in that situation. Even if it, even if there was technically like a hold or a tug there.
1: Um, well, because because Scott, there's there's technically probably you know seventy five other minor infractions over the course of a game that don't get called because because it happens all the time, and that's why I was kind of saying like there's a lack of situational awareness. Like I, I agree, like technically they're calls, but technically calls get missed all game. So,
0: yeah, the, the, the ones that bother me more were the, the two on Laura I already mentioned, where I thought both were both were soft and both were clearly Red Wings players selling it. And then the the Carlo interference penalty. And in, I think that was in the first period where Dylan Larkin's the one who initiates contact and somehow Carlo gets called for interference like that. That was absolutely baffling. Um, and that was you know, one
2: where, it, where Larkin ended up on the ground for a while and like that like kind of sold it I think
0: Well, and it was one where the the Red Wings scored. I think that's when they got their first goal. yeah Ray- it was the
2: Raymond yeah. power play goal so
0: yeah so um both both Detroit power play goals came after penalties that shouldn't have been called. So yeah, like you don't like complaining about refs, but I mean they unquestionably did impact the game and the result.
1: Another player who impacted the game early on is – have we talked about Matt Potcher before on this podcast? Whoop. Yeah. Let's <laughs> uh, come back
0: to Guelph, right? He's gone. <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah, I heard something about like a nine-game trial or something. But um, so he gets his fourth goal of the season. Uh, this one is – Inarguably his prettiest. I mean, the one against Chicago is nice, showed his breakaway speed and went 5 But this, the hands on, on display here, um, we're, were elite, um, you know, poised beyond his years, really. And so he gets his fourth goal of the year, his seventh point in 11 games for a 19-year-old. Looks like the Bruins, as we all know, have found a player. What'd you guys think of Patrick's game, and and who else stood out to you guys up front?
2: I'll go first. Um so that was a beautiful goal. And with it what you kind of see from him is just that he first of all he sold shot first on the forehand and then he was able to just very calmly just move to the back end put it in and it completely was able to fool everyone the defender the goalie um and I think you just kind of could see his skill set in that he doesn't have to do anything fancy it wasn't necessarily fancy and it was just smooth and, and I uh, made it look easy and he just looked very calm which is kind of how he's looked the entire time even though he's 19 and he's playing his this was his 11th game in the nhl um he and the funny thing is now he has more goals than he has assists he's got four goals and three assists so we're talking about him as a playmaker and i think unfortunately for him he's he could probably even have more point production if he hasn't been rotated as much as he has been i feel like he's all over the place in every single podcast we're talking about oh who will he play better with and this on uh, in the detroit game he ends up with frederick and Geeky, which they've tried before, but they had moved Patra with Pasternak and Zaka, and they had him with Marsha on different games. And I almost feel like he's found a way to impact the game, even when his line mates have been shifted around and, and chemistry has maybe been a little bit hard to come by for him because of all of the rotation.
0: Yeah. And, and he does have an assistant in this game too on Pasternak's late power play goal. He has a nice pass from kind of like low in the left circle out to not at the right point. Um yeah, he you know, oddly enough, like in in this game, he looked better on the whether it was power play or five and five, the shifts where he was on a different line because I thought his actual line with Frederick and Geeky, I think they were very quiet. Um Bruins got outshot seven to two when they were on the ice. And they were out there for uh one of the Detroit goals. I think the uh the fourth one, where they kind of got stuck in the D zone and everyone's scrambling a little bit. And it seems like it was Frederick who messed up the rotation. Um, I say that because he did not get another shift the rest of the game. So I'm assuming that is Montgomery's way of telling Frederick and also us that it was Frederick who screwed up because basically like the the goal scorer, um, David Perron, sort of, like, circles out to, like, the left corner and then, like, up the left half all a little bit, and Shattenkirk passes him off and goes to the net front, which I'm almost certain is exactly what the defenseman in the Bruins system is supposed to do. They're not supposed to chase forwards out to, like, the right, out to the elbow. Um, Frederick is supposed to be the one rotating off, and he just doesn't and ends up leaving a seam pass wide open and Perron's wide open and then everyone's scrambling, and it's a, it's a goal. So, um, yeah, that that line had, as a trio, had a pretty tough game, but Patra had some good moments when he was away from them and and with, you know, more creative offensive players.
1: Uh, another player who I think is starting to step up, now you saw it against Toronto, you saw it last night with a beautiful assist, is getting his game going production-wise Is Jake DeBrusque, a uh, good sign for him as well that he's starting to find the score sheet.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think you you see him um, just playing more confidently and making more plays. Um, you know, a, a similar kind of assist to how he ended up scoring um, his first goal of the season against, that was the Toronto game, right, I think. Um, but, like, he, he kind of cuts inside and makes a pass to a, like a nice touch pass to a teammate who's kind of gone behind the defense. And against Toronto, it was Tamar Shand who gets denied. And then is there to bury the rebound. And against Detroit, it's down to Coil right on the doorstep. Um Yeah, he he's we all felt like it was coming. We felt like we he'd been playing pretty well overall. And, you know, the goals and points just weren't there. So I'm not surprised that it's coming, but um, but yeah, I think there does seem to be like a little more urgency too, where he's he's going to the net and he's getting pucks to the net, and you know we've said it before like that's been a point of emphasis that the Bruns gonna have to score you know grittier goals in close, and he's now making some of those happen
2: and James van Reeves, like too, in that net front has kind of delivered what we thought he could bring um, being a pest out in front of the net. And he's been like that, not just five on five, and and he's been rotated around lines as well, but he seems to be able to, to find that part of his game in each um, line combination. And also on the power play, he's, he's on that top unit. Uh, as of right now, he's on that top unit, uh, Playing net front with Zaka. Have you guys noticed how Zaka is? Like he plays the bumper, but he plays all the way at the top of the slot. Like he plays such a high bumper that I've I've noticed it over the past few games. He gets he gets the feed there. I don't know if it's easier for that passing lane for whatever reason, and he has a good enough shot to score from there. But I think it's because they're they're they have Van Riemsdyk kind of low slot. They throw uh, Zaka up as like a very high bumper um i don't know if you guys noticed that or if i'm just crazy but
1: <laughs> um i mean i think the goal of the bumper is to kind of move up and down to to try to create that 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 passing lane so i don't know yes. if i'm supposed to too too much beyond that
2: but i noticed that's where he takes his shots from the bumper is seems to be that higher area and then looking for the net front tip or put like a rebound put in for JVR
0: Yeah, I also, I think that kind of relates to something we talked about last year. Um, Like, remember, I don't know if it was late in the regular season or in the playoffs, but when Zach was getting time in the bumper on PP1 with Bergeron out, we noted at the time that, like, he's a lot more active when he plays there. Like, he moves around a lot more in general. Whereas Bergeron, it was much more subtle movement because he's always just looking for that little pocket where he could get that quick shot off where martian you know he finds a little bit of space martian hits him at the perfect time he gets a quick shot off zaka i think one that play's not there because martian into a left stick isn't gonna be like you can't get that kind of quick shot off and setting up that kind of shot isn't really posnax game posnax more looking for shots for himself so sort of out of necessity, Zaka has to be more active, and I do think part of that is popping out high, opening himself up for more passes, and then either either shooting for that from there because uh, he has, as Poslak put it, a rocket, or um, or playmaking from there. But yeah, I think it's all just part of he. I think he wants to play that position differently than Bergeron, and I think he has to as well.
1: Well, and I I think. You mentioned it, and but it changes the dynamic of the power play, right? It, it makes everybody more shot first because with Bergeron in the bumper, you alluded to it, but Marchand is focused on being a playmaker, right? He's trying to find that cross, I seam to Pasternak for the one time or he's trying to find that quick pass down low to the goal line to, at the time, Taylor Hall or DeBrusque or Felino, whomever, uh, Bertuzzi in the playoffs, or you know he's trying to find Bergeron in the slot. So Marchand is now looking at himself as solely a facilitator. But now with with the bumper play on the opposite side of the ice, it changes Marchand's role. Now he has to be more shot-first mentality. And obviously Pashnak is shot-first mentality, so he's always willing to shoot. And I just think it it presents more more weapons. Um, Not suggesting it's a better power play without Patrice Bergeron. I'm just saying from a stylistic standpoint, I feel like for this unit, it kind of makes everybody want to take a shot when it's there.
0: Well, and, they, and they're clearly still figuring things out. I mean, they, they go one for four on Saturday, but they're still at uh, under 17% for the season, which is th- – they're 21st in the NHL right now, so clearly still work to do, and I think part of it is they, they are still figuring out those roles. I think Martian – I think Martian still has to get more – shot first mentality i think there's still times that he's holding pucks too long or trying to force passes that aren't really there when he has a shot of his own um so you know everyone's still kind of trying to trying to find that right balance and find the plays that work for them and now obviously having mcavoy out the last couple games shan kirk's the same same side shot but he's also you know he's a different player than mcavoy too so that that changes things again so um you know it is it is one area that they definitely still have to get better though because offensively they're basically a middle of the pack team right now and i think that's not the end of the world when your defense and goaltending is as good as the bruins defense and goaltending is but if you're going to be like a true contender eventually you got to have at least like a top 10 offense it doesn't have to be you know one of the top two or three in the league but it probably has to be better than middle of the pack
1: offense or or power play
0: both, both really. Yep. Right now they're middle, they're middle of the pack offensively total. They're, they're even lower than that power play. They're 21st.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And in the past, their power play has always been a, to, a top 10 power play. Um, still, even in those days, they would have some Jekyll and Hyde tendencies, but yeah, I mean, I guess what we were saying is, like, in theory, everybody should be shot first mentality. It hasn't happened that way yet. Um, and, yeah, it is surprising. Anytime you have a power play with David Paschnik on it and Brad Marchand and McAvoy, like you shouldn't be that low. Um, Bridget, I have a question for the two of you regarding the, the bottom six, but I don't want to – if you have any thoughts on, on the power play to finish off or – okay. So, um, if this team is healthy up front completely – should Danton Heinen be a, a permanent fixture, uh, a top 12 forward on this team, if everybody's healthy? Obviously, Luchich is out, Lauk goes out on the fourth line. Um, but And and I know that there's a certain identity that fourth lines are often created for by head coaches, right? And a player like Danton Heinen might not fit that rugged, you know, fourth line uh, stereotype of a, of, a, of a, you know, physical four checker, whatever, cause, because look, like, player for player, Danton Heinen's a better hockey player at this stage in their lives and Milan Lucic and better hockey player than Jacob Lauko But, but those two have a role to play and they play it really well when they're going. So if this team's healthy up front, um, is, has Danton Heinen showed you guys anything in his, in his three or four games? I think it's three um, that tells you maybe he should be uh, maybe a third liner on this team or maybe a fourth liner.
2: I, so It's kind of a complicated answer, but it's also kind of simple. I don't think he's earned it outright from anyone. Um, So I think that he more than likely would continue being rotated in and out of the lineup, depending on matchups, depending on teams. Um, Do you need a heavier fourth line? Is your fourth line going to be played more or less um, matchup-wise? I think that he's done well enough to not be like – to not make anybody think, including coaches and management, that he can't handle it. And I think he showed showed flashes where they've even trusted him on the uh, the Pasternak line. Um, He's somebody who's not super flashy, but does have some of his speed. I think that he's good enough to stay with the team as not necessarily, I won't even call him the extra forward, just one of – say maybe two or three forwards that rotate in and out of the lineup.
0: Yeah, I, I pretty much agree with that. Like I, I I've described Anddenheim before as someone who will never really look out of place anywhere or really hurt you all that much. but I if everyone's healthy, I like that fourth line of Lucic, Beecher, Lauko. I like the the speed that Beecher and Lauko can bring the physicality of Lucic and Lauko and even Beecher, who I think has continued to play pretty physical, even with those guys out. Um, that just seems to fit better for me. And then higher in the lineup than that, I think, I think I've seen more from Geeky and Frederick than Heinen. Um, and in fairness to Heinen, like he went a long time without playing in games and that's tough. And I think you've seen that, pop up at times these three games that he's played where you know there's been times where it seems like a guy either closes on him faster than he was anticipating he's had a couple sloppy turnovers or just like misplaying the puck which can be a timing thing when you're just when you're just not really in rhythm so you know he's he's gonna get some more time here until lucic and loco are back um and we'll see, you know, if he if he picks it up. But right now, I sort of view him as kind of sort of like in just an ideal 13th forward. Like I, I will call him that. Um, where he can fill in if anyone in that bottom six needs a night off, whether it's they're they're dealing with something minor, or maybe they just had a rough game or whatever, you can easily plug him in left or right wing, and he's gonna do just fine. But I think I think everything with everyone healthy I think everything fits together and fits your identity better um with other guys and with him probably out.
1: I agree with you guys both. I think uh, I think he's a perfect Swiss Army knife 13th forward. And what's great about him is not all 13th forwards have that like can plug in in a top six role. Like a lot of 13th forwards are like all right, yeah, go play fourth line. If but I do like that versatility of him. So I, I don't have much more to add. I mean, I, I like him as a player. Does a lot of little things, and given more opportunity and more uh, consecutive games played, maybe he can outperform a Morgan Geeky or somebody like that or whatever. But I do like the size of Geeky. I mean, look, yeah, you guys kind of c- covered it perfectly. Um, I have another burning question for the two of you.
0: Actually, I- well, unless unless uh, this is unless I'm jumping ahead and stealing your question, but kind of along the same lines. Um, of the Heinen conversation and how the forwards, you know, bottom six, fourth line shakes out. I think Oscar Steen's making a case to, to stick around. Like I've, I've liked what he's brought for the most part, you know, a little quieter Saturday, but I think he's played well. And um, depending on how long he sticks around, like the Bruins might have a decision because I think it's, if he plays 10 games, he would have to go through waivers again. And if he's say he's played well in those 10 games, like, you know, teams might look at that and be like, Hey, this guy just played pretty well for 10 games. Let's put in a claim on him. He's at four right now. So you have, you know, still a little bit of time to go. And it's possible that Lucic and Lauco are back by then. And he's already sent down to province before he gets there. But, um, you know, it's not—it's not like he's played himself out of the lineup by by any means, in my mind. Mm,
2: no, but I think you answered your own question because they're not going to put him through waivers again if they don't have to. <laughs> so <laughs> I just think that they'll they'll try to avoid that. But um, go ahead, Bry, hit your question.
1: Well, the good news is Scott Mystic Mystic, uh, Mystic Mac McLaughlin did not uh, did not guess my question. Um, this is a sexy question, honestly, and I just, I just, I was curious about what the split was so far, and it's, it's six games played for Olmark, five for Swayman, so they are just straight up splitting, splitting time, as we all anticipated. Uh, goals against average for Olmark through the first month plus two point three goals against Swayman one point three eight. Swayman's five and zero, and Allmark is four and one, four, four and one. Four one and one,
0: yeah. For one and one,
1: yeah. Um, all I'm not gonna I'm not gonna really bore, but uh, I guess my question is this: like, who's the better goalie in your guts? Like, like, do you who do you trust more as, as the Bruins' goaltender? Because they're gonna do this split all year. Both goalies are great. It's 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 a part of their identity, defense and goaltending. I just I'm just curious. Like, I haven't really asked you guys straight up. Like, who do you think's a better goalie? I know all marks the reigning Vesna winner. I get it, but.
0: Right right now, Jeremy Swayman's better. He certainly had has had the better start to the season. He just looks more locked in. Again, you know, Elmar gives up five goals Saturday. Don't think they were all his fault. Don't even think half of them were his fault. But there were a couple in there that like I thought he maybe could have done a little more on or, or you would have liked to save. Like the Raymond power play goal. Again, it's enclosed. Raymond was left wide open. But it wasn't exactly a snipe, and it, it still beats him. Um, the – I think the cop goal where – or, no, the Larkin goal where he sort of got that that step on Wotherspoon. Again, like, yeah, the defense in front of him sort of blew it. But, again, like, not really a snipe. Didn't, you know, make a great deke or anything and just kind of beat him stick side. So, you know, it's it's a – I feel like like we got to keep it like in perspective because we're like everyone's like Almark's struggling, Swayman's clearly better. And it's like okay, Linus Almark still ranks in the top 10 in the NHL in save percentage and goals against average and as you said he's 4-1-1. One, one. Like these these are the stakes. Like Linus Almark's still playing like a top 10 goalie. Jeremy Swayman's played like the best goalie in the NHL so far. So I would say right now this very moment I'm more confident in him. Um You know, if that remain, whether or not that remains the case, I I don't know.
1: I guess the way I would describe it and not to jump in, Bridget, because I'll throw it right to you. But like if the Bruins are in a situation where they have an embarrassment of riches in that and and they feel like there's a deal that is out there at some point in the future to help their team elsewhere. I don't want them trading Swayman, but like I wouldn't. But like I would veto a Swayman trade, but I wouldn't veto an All-Mark trade if it made them better. And I guess that's my way of saying, like, I just, my gut, I just like swimming better as a, as a player, I think.
2: Okay. So those are two different questions. <laughs> those, are two, those are two. I was about to give you, you said you had a sexy question. I was going to give you the least sexy answer possible.
1: Back to part is, one. Back to part, oh, one. to
2: part one, which is that just please keep rotating them, keep them healthy. I trust both of them. I don't see any reason to think Allmark is like going to have a terrible slump. Um, I think that last season as well, we had this come up right around the trade deadline, pretty much the whole year, but more intensified at the trade deadline. Do you trade Allmark for, um, you know, while he's at his highest value? Um, I still think that Swayman is untouchable. So I agree with you on that, Um, which kind of just means that by default, Allmark would be the guy that you would look to deal if you thought you needed to. However, the same caveat as last year, you're probably better keeping both of them. Just this time in the playoffs, use both of them when you when you can. Like Act like you have a backup if you want to call a swim in that. Act like you have a second goalie that if someone struggles, you can put them right in and not wait to game seven um, and put them in a tough situation. So – Keep both your goalie. Keeping both your goalies is probably the move anyway. At the trade deadline, I don't think they're. And once again, I hit you with a non sexy answer to your question of both of them. So. You're welcome. Well,
0: you, you you did just touch on something I want to get ahead of. Um, because I was on this train last year, and I want to make sure everyone knows I'm on it again. But if if this rotation stays as strong as it was last year as strong as it's been so far this year and the last month of the season all markets are both playing great and you're still rotating rotating the playoffs i i'm telling like me, from too, last
2: thought, year. me yes. too i yelled at jones on the radio because they had me filling in for megan or, or, or can i forget who it was for like a week during the playoffs or like the week the first week of, or the week before the playoffs, and I was yelling at him. They need to keep rotating, and everybody was yelling back at me. No, but um, anyhow, and and by the way, that it wasn't just Jones. Like this is a popular opinion by like people who are like traditional, traditionalists in terms of hockey. Last like,
0: year, last year was the opinion of ninety nine percent of people around hockey I talked to. Like no, no one supported the idea of rotating them.
1: To be okay, but let me ask you guys this. Let me ask you guys this. What we haven't seen, and this dates back to Tuca before Omar was even in town. Yeah,
2: uh, here come here it comes. <laughs> here's, the, here's the the, the yeah. other opinion that we're talking about. It's still no, late no, no, no. Ryan. Be quiet. <laughs> no, no, no,
1: no, no, no. Look, look, look. And by the way, so I bring all this up because I, I want to bring up a uh a tweet that, that John Buchagrass uh put out. Um uh, so I'll get to that. I'm sure you maybe you guys saw it, maybe you didn't, but I'll read it anyway. But the one thing that I, I I honestly I will I'll bend the knee if you want to, if they want to do a a split fine in the playoffs, I don't care, whatever, because I, whatever, but I will say, and this dates back to when Tuka was in town before Allmark, we haven't seen Jeremy Swayman been given a playoff series to himself, and I'm kind of interested in that, like, I I just am, I want to see, I want to see if he can, like, I want to see how he does as a, as a, as a lone rider in the playoffs, like, I I just, I just want to see that, is that really, you know, um, uh like argumentative of me to to, to say I just want to see what he can do as a, as a as a goalie who gets to see gets a series to himself so um no, but, it, yeah.
2: I don't think I don't think it's argumentative at all I think it's just that it's just like the, the classic if it's not broke don't fix it like it worked through the entire regular season so give them both their chance like I'm not saying give one the whole series That that's kind of the whole point that we're making. And I know what you're saying, Brian, as well. Absolutely, they should have last season and should this year play him more than they did in a playoff series.
1: Yeah. Well, and
0: and I'll say, like, if... I guess my overarching take on, like, goalies in the playoffs is sort of what Bridget just said is, like, stick with stick with what's working. So if we get to March-April and Swayman's playing better than Almark, and he's starting to get two out of every three or three out of every four, then I'm totally, if that's what happens, I'm totally fine with Swayman's the number one goalie for the playoffs, and he's playing until he gives us a reason not to. Like, I'm still fine with that. I'm not, like, saying I'm 100% committed to a rotation no matter what. I'm just saying if you end this season the same way you ended last year, where it's working so well, just use it. And one other thing on this, Billy Jaffe on morning brew, this was a couple weeks ago now. And I feel like it sort of flew under the radar, but he made a comment that he's gotten the impression from people in the organization that they are more willing to use a rotation in the playoffs this year. And I've, I've, he's probably talked to more people than I have, but like, I've sort of gotten that sense too. I guess the one thing I would add on to that is that everyone said last year that they were open to the idea, but they didn't do it. So it's one thing to say you're open to it. It's another thing to obviously actually do it when that time comes.
1: I So now because of all a lot of the conversation we had going into last postseason, um, Scott, that you mentioned how you want to see uh, a split, and if it ain't broke, don't fix it. I am. I'd be lying if I said part of me doesn't want to see if that actually does work. But at the same time, like, have we seen in NHL history, like, like that ever work for a Stanley Cup champion? What we have, what we have seen, and and that I'm genuinely asking, I don't know the answer. What we, it, it worked for. That,
2: the, I can tell you that last year it didn't work when they well, stuck with mostly Allmark.
1: It, it it worked. It worked
0: for the Bruins in 1972. Okay. with with jerry
1: cheevers and eddie johnson well in the the modern era let's call it um
2: yeah but brian i feel like i feel like you haven't had this is i feel like i'm having the same conversation
1: we're we're not we're we're not because i i just i just said like i actually kind of i am i am curious to see if it if if it works in the the postseason i'm just saying before we all sit there and say well it worked in the regular season so it's it's going to work in the postseason. I would just say that we have seen situations like Vegas last year where it's not the same goalie the whole time. Right. Or like the penguins in sixteen seventeen or one of those years, you know, you, they gave Mark Andre Fleury like a couple series they gave, uh, who was, who was the other goalie at the time? Matt Murray. Yeah. Like they, they split time, but it was kind of like, it wasn't every other game. It was kind of like series. And it I just, was-
0: well, and it was like partially performance based because they each kept, they would each have like two or three good games and then like one or two tough ones.
1: So I, yeah, I just think, look, I'm I honest, honest to God, like I I I really don't care. Like I'm I'm fascinated to see if it does work in the postseason because it has worked in the regular season. And I do acknowledge that the game is changing and the workload is tough on these goalies. I just think that if you if you go the alternate goalies in the playoffs all i'm saying is that there's going to be times where you're like "Fuck, who do we go with here just like last year in game seven and i just think it might create a lot of anxiety in the coaches room and, and second guessing and it's 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 tough it's like it's tough what do you do
0: but i, I think
2: you're gonna, you're gonna second guess either way though So, I'm like, I don't understand why it's gonna, it has to be so cut and dry.
0: Yeah. I I think as anytime you have two really good goalies, you're gonna have those tough decisions and debates no matter what you do. Like, we, we debated, if I'm remembering correctly, who should start before game five. We debated who should start before game six. And we and everyone else debated who should start before game seven. So, you still had those debates and tough calls to make even starting the series with, with one guy over the other.
1: Mm. I mean, it's definitely uncharted, uh, uncharted waters. And it's, it'd be fascinating to see how, how it shakes out. I, I, um I see, I see the pros and I see potential cons. I, I think, I think it's, I think it could be tough for a goaltender because they're, they're different creatures out there than most other hockey players. Like they have a lot of mental, this, the between the ears is huge with them and and they have their rituals and their routines and to know like to know your opponents and and to know a game is yours or a series is yours. I just think there's a, a sense of ownership that sometimes can be troubling if you're going. it's it works in the regular season. I acknowledge. I think the playoffs are different, but this is a way too premature conversation. Ultimately, I wanted to ask you guys uh, something about what John Bucci-Gross, uh tweeted. Because I find it fascinating, and I don't even know my answer to this. So I'm going to pawn it off to you two, and then maybe steal one of your answers. So just for some for some context, the Edmonton Oilers are playing awful this year, and the biggest reason so far is their goaltending, or lack thereof. So Ryan Whitney um, tweeted out two days ago, Oilers lose another 8.52 save percentage type evening. John Bucciagras quote tweets that and says this, Ryan, would you trade Dry and Fogle for last year's Vesna winner, i.e. Allmark, Jake DeBrusk, Matt Patra, Fabian lysell and a 2026 first rounder? The central registry would approve this proposed trade for cap and roster implications. What are your thoughts on that hypothetical situation? No, I see people I saying, million, No. I see people saying the Bruins will never do that, and I see people saying the Oilers will never do that, and
0: so, yeah. I I did not see this tweet, so hold on, read this off again, and I want to pull it up so I can look at the whole thing. But I, I'm sure I'm sure some listeners may also have may also need this whole package repeated. So okay,
1: all right, one more time. So, Ryan, would you trade? Leon Drysaitel and Warren Fogle for last year's Vesna winner, Lena Solmark, Jake DeBrusk, Matthew Patra, Fabian Lysel, and a 2026 first rounder. The Central Registry would approve this proposed trade for cap and roster implications. No. Man,
2: hard pass.
0: I'm I'm a lot more in the in the I need to think about this because why because why? Leon Leon Draisaitl is fucking awesome that's why <laughs> like
1: I mean he's he's, okay. he's one of
0: the he's one of the three best players in the world well, well so does
1: he
2: make your team like does he make this year's chances of winning the Stanley Cup better if you take away one of your like two of your prospects your one of your goalies maybe who might be your better goalie in net by that time of the year we don't know and jake debruss like we've already talked about the holes they have up front i just don't see how that's super helpful for the bruins
1: well your 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 top three centers now become leon drysaitl pavel zaka and charlie coyle um you replace lena slomark with Jeremy swayman and bussy and yes fabian Lysel, for all we know, ends up being a 20-point score in the NHL. We don't know. He's still struggling to find his game in, in the AHL. Matthew Patra. He,
0: he just had his best weekend of the season, by the way. Just had uh, a, a really strong
1: weekend. I mean, so Bridget, I hear what you're saying. It's like you're, you're, you're t- taking a lot of holes away. But, I mean, no offense to Jake DeBrus, but, like, Orlando Solmark, Leon Dreisettel is one of the best hockey players in the world. It's just something to but think about. Could, there.
2: I, I also say no be, from the Oilers' standpoint too like i like i just say no overall because i think both both teams are like what <laughs> because like dry cycle okay you're getting you're getting a new goalie but you're also getting rid of like so much scoring potential so you're already you're already having trouble and i know goalie might be a, a hard situation for you but it just seems like that's also not a recipe for if the goal end goal is for you to make the playoffs and to have like a decently a decent chance at making a run. I think that that hurts them too much.
0: So my take now after just a couple minutes of thinking about this is it's a little too much for me, but I'm like, I'm still close to 50, 50 though. And I think if I could just slightly downgrade like one piece of this, like, can I hang on to, Like is there any chance I can hang on to Patra and and it's a different player instead, or the first round, future first becomes a second. Like it it feels like one too many like high end pieces. But even with that, like, I'm still really close. It's like, it's like a 47%, it's like a 53% no, 47%. Yes.
1: The biggest part for me is Patra. Like I, Obviously, we all love him, mm-hmm. and he's 19 years old. I mean, Jake DeBrusque, for all we know, can walk after the season, right? He's he's a free agent, right? Yeah, I mean, he is. Yeah, this is, and, this is
2: the contract year for him.
1: Look, and we all like Jake DeBrusque as a player, but let's be honest. Night to night, he leaves something to be desired. Whether it's he's just he just hasn't. Cons- I mean, last year was great. I don't want to take last year away from him when he was injury. Uh, he was injured and would have had a career year easily. Um, but we're talking about Leon Dreisaitl. And we all know that Jeremy Swayman is a hes a high-end goaltender in this league, as we've discussed. Um, and and the Bruins have goaltending depth in the system. And honestly, goaltending is – I don't want to say it's easy to find because if it is, you, I admit they wouldn't have their issues. But um, it's been easy to find in Boston. Let's, and they've never given me reasons to not believe that they can get goaltending in the system, and they already have it. So – I mean, Patra is the big thing, but you got to give to get, right? And it's not that giving up all markets and giving up or DeBress isn't giving up. But I mean, Leon Dry settles again. He's one of the top players in the world.
2: What's his contract? How much does he have left on his contract?
1: It's a great question. I wish and,
2: had- how, and I want to check his age. I mean, give
1: me one second. Well, he's in past next draft, so he's probably around 27 years old, right?
0: 28.
1: Okay. Nebraska is 26. Nebraska is 27, I think. Um, so. so
0: here's actually, so this becomes another little bit of a complicating fact. I said dry 28 only has one year after this at 8.5 yeah. million. So you're, you're also giving him a mega extension.
2: Yes. No. So that's.
0: Well, to, so yeah. to me, that only, that only adds to, I need to downgrade one of those pieces. Like I, I can't give up all of that. Um, but if there's any way I can get it done without giving up one of like Padra, Lysel, or a first-round pick,
2: I'm not and giving up Padra at all. I just take him out, <laughs> just like no, sorry, he's, he's a, not. I,
1: he's even a prospect. He's your number two center right now. You yeah, know I mean? exactly. <laughs> but.
0: Right, but. If you're getting Leon Dreisaitl, is your number one center. Oh no, and exactly. Your number two. So.
1: No, I know, I know. I'm just saying, like, 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 Lysell is still a prospect to us, but but Patra is, I mean, he's an he's, NHLer.
0: Right. Like, I'm. I'm not trying to trade Matt Patra. Obviously, I. I think he's a part of their long-term future, and you know, is going to be a very good player. But in a mega trade for someone like for a superstar like Dreisaitl, he he wouldn't be untouchable for me.
1: So we got two no's for, for the two of you right now. As, as, yeah, as no, I a
0: hard no, as Coochie Coochie no, Ross put it. no to that exact deal, but open to discussion. Okay, that's
1: so that's only
2: because you he, he just loves dry sidle so much that he's like he's he was in as soon as he I said mean, I that he was like, maybe not. there's not
0: much there not to love, like, he's a pretty great player. I, mean, I just
1: want to pull up I'm, I want to pull up Dreisaitl's, uh career stats real quick just because I think Connery David kind of makes people forget how good Dreisaitl is. And he has 757 career points in 648 games. And he's a plus 29 on an Oilers team that's never been good defensively in front of – that he's been playing for. Um, he, and if he, I can – He maybe... 100 –
0: Yeah. He, he so, had
1: 128 points last year. And and uh, his um, – his his playoff stats I also believe are through the roof. Uh, he has 49 career playoff games and he has 77 points. Yeah, I'll take Leon Dreisaitl. So you know what? For the sake of discussion, and if and I'm giving up who Jake DeBrusk and Linus Allmark and Fabian Lysel, who's played how many pro games? I would hate to give up Patra, but yeah, I'll take I'll take the guy with 128 points last year.
2: What was the draft pick? I that's the one part I. Miss.
0: It was a fr- it was a first rounder in twenty
1: twenty
2: six. That the Bruins give.
0: Yeah.
1: yeah. But what well, honestly, who are you drafting with a first round pick? No, no one touching Leon Draisaitl. That's for damn sure. No. And he's. But what if he doesn't
2: want an extension? <laughs> <Like> you're fucked. <laughs> I think,
1: I think he would because because he's been in Edmonton for so many years with bad defense and goaltending like. You come to Boston and you just don't have that. You're a playoff team every year.
2: Does he have uh, um a like a trade agreement? What's it? Uh does he have any sort of um,
0: limitations?
1: I'm sure he does. Yeah. yeah.
0: He has a uh blah, 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 blah. Player submits a 10 team trade list. So he gives the Oilers 10 teams he would accept
1: a trade to. Um guarantee Boston on that list. Right.
0: Like as it should be because you can say, "Hey, want to play with David Pasternak for basically the rest of your career?" How's that sound?
1: Mm-hmm.
2: If you could guarantee an extension, then that like totally changes, like yeah. the entire deal.
1: I mean, I love what I've seen on Matthew Patra, but like, it, it's like most hockey players never grow up to be Leon Drysettle in this league. It's just, it's just the reality of things. So, and he's still, you know, he's young. He's in his twenties still. I'll say, I'll say, I'll say yes just to not do a clean sweep. It's, it's, I don't like the idea of giving a pot in that situation, obviously. Yeah. But I think know, that's the you know, sticking it.
2: point for all of us. I think that's really the sticking point for all of us. But I think we had like a solid no, a maybe, and a yes. It's <laughs> what I'm getting out of this yeah. group. It's a,
1: it's a tough, it's a tough yes for me. And, and that's knowing how good dry Settle is. Like, that's a very tough yes because, you know, and and this is just a fun question. It's not like you know we're not wishing any of these players away. But I saw it and I thought it was I thought it was fun uh, to bring it up and see see you guys' opinions.
2: So, I was yeah. not expecting that. Neither.
1: Yeah, I was, it was off the cuff. Look at this.
0: Oh, not that like we particularly care about this angle of it, but Edmonton, like I, I wonder when they start thinking about next year. Like probably not yet because they're in. The weakest division in hockey, so they can still turn it around and probably make the playoffs. But man, it's been like an absolutely dreadful start for them. Speaking of dreadful starts, just because just crossed my mind. You guys see what the San Jose Sharks are doing? Oh my god!
2: Oh, that was bad.
0: (laughs) They're
1: like like District Five, stick handling
2: eggs
1: (laughs) My god!
0: They're they're o ten and one, and they've given up ten goals in back to back games. No no one's done that since the Bruins the year before they got Bobby Orr. Like that's insane.
1: God bless. They
2: really, they really want that first round pick, guys. Oh,
1: Sharks! They want
2: that number one. They want that number one pick. Unfortunately for them, the ping pong balls don't always fly that way. But
1: God bless them. God bless them in that little SAP center of theirs. Um all right. We
2: did have them picked as last. That you was, that so was true, right? unanimous last place and yeah. they are still holding on to that right now. Um no Did surprise. you I mean we've gone long over this this mm. hypothetical trade. Did you want to say something about Ryan Reeves? I feel like that was
1: You <laughs> <maybe> know something <laughs> I guess I guess because I didn't get to it. I just hope that Lucic is back in the lineup when they play Toronto in December because he's going to have to step up and probably fight them because if Lucic isn't there, obviously the Maple Leafs are, you know, making this whole thing about the whole Marsha and Lilligren incident, which the fact that it's an incident is just, um, you know, it's it, it's it's bias. It's, it's Toronto bias. It's Marsh. It's, it, it was it, – you guys may have discussed it last episode, but it was a hockey play. Um, Mar-Shane's entitled to that ice and that movement. And so the fact that Toronto is making these comments, you know, basically saying we had, we had team meetings addressing the lack of action afterwards and Reeves pretty much calling up Martian and, you know, pretty much saying wait till next game. So obviously the Bruins don't have you any. You could have big-
2: done something that game.
1: You could have, but. could
2: have done something that game. But- and by the way, this is, this has shades of like the, the Chara Hit on Patch already, where it's like, oh, the whole city wants him to come, like, go to jail or something. It's yeah, like, it, was, it was,
0: it was, it could have been a tripping penalty. He did get his stick under his skate, but like, that's it. Like, it's a two minute minor for tripping. They're, they're clearly just two guys battling for the puck. It's, like, yeah, it's, it's insane how big of a deal they're making this. Yeah. Like, uh, <laughs> Sheldon Keefe is like asked about the response and he's like, well, I hated it. Like we didn't respond and it's, it's just unbelievable. And it's, it's so funny too, because like, like everyone has the same reaction of like, boy, too bad they didn't have a guy like Ryan Reeves on their team who stops things like this from happening. And it's like, yeah, you know why? Ryan Reeves doesn't stop this from happening because you can't play him. That they've been, I think someone tweeted that the Leafs have been outscored eight to nothing with Ryan Reeves on the ice this year. Like he's not good at hockey. So you can't put him out there. You especially can't put him out there against Brad Martian because you know what's going to happen if Ryan Reeves is on the ice at the same time as Brad Martian, Brad Marchand's going to laugh, skate circles around him, go score a goal.
1: Well, now that it's been made into a circus up there, uh, because God forbid that their six defensemen, you know, gets up muscled in a, in a one-on-one battle. Um, You know, because it's been a circus, like Toronto's going to have to, they're going to try to do something about it when they play next. And all I'm saying is that Ryan Reeves might not be a great hockey player, as Scott said it, but he can fight. Uh, as good as pretty much anybody, and I think he's a little bit out of Trent Frederick's weight class. So Big Boy Luch is gonna have to step up in that game, and if he's healthy. And I guess that's my only thoughts on that. It's it's kind of ridiculous that toronto making this a thing still, but yeah, I guess a conversation for a later date um to be to to revisit Bridget and Scott. We're a little bit over. um Any final? I'm taking? just
2: checking that that game is December second. The next game they play Toronto is December second.
1: Yeah, low key like. F- about, yeah, about a month away, and Lucic is on uh, LTIR, so I don't know if he'll be back by then, but it'll be close. I I would
0: imagine he should be. I mean, initially Montgomery said a couple weeks, which, like, would have put it early to mid-November, and then with the long-term IR, like, he's eligible to be back in the middle of November, so okay. I would I would guess he's back, but I don't know. You know, yeah. maybe he was, it doesn't he quite didn't have the right.
2: boot. He didn't have the boot on the ninth floor when we saw him this past game, so.
0: yeah. He, he had that um, off. Yeah, he's had that off for a little while. Like last week around Warrior, he didn't have anything. So
2: mm-hmm. Yeah, but the the only issue with this is that I, I have a broadcast that day. Damn it. <laughs> I'm gonna have to wait and watch it after. Oh, I don't like that. Wait, actually it might be a it might be a three o'clock broadcast. I might be fine. I don't <laughs> know. Hopefully um, I can see it live. <laughs>
1: Uh, hopefully 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 um you can also watch bruins and stars live that is t- tomorrow night but you'll be listening to this on monday so it's 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 monday night in case you're listening to this on monday which you will be that's when it drops so the bruins are playing the stars tonight everybody just forget i said tomorrow night they're playing tonight <laughs> at eight o'clock and bridget scott and i will be uh we'll be back uh probably tuesday night or wednesday for our, our next episode
0: we only we only
1: change the clocks an hour,
0: Brian. Not a full day.
1: Yeah, I know. I know. Sometimes we got to keep up with this, you know, fall back, skate pod ahead type thing. You know. Um, I thought right. this
2: was. I I really thought this was the year we got rid of it. Like some, you know, how people fall for it every year. I never do, and this year I was like, they did it really. They and then I was like, oh man, I fell for it. Okay, <laughs> like then just get rid of it. I hate it so much. Yeah. It's dark.
1: It's I know, jerky,
2: really, I hate it, I hate it, I hate the spring one too, just as much, so.
1: I know, I love the, I love the classic like, uh, conversation amongst New Englanders, like every, every October, like, oh boy, it's getting darker earlier, you know, it's like, or, oh boy, it's getting cold already, it's like, yeah, no shit, it's November, we always just have these like, same isms, where every year it's the same thing, but we always act surprised, oh my god, oh, it's getting colder, huh, well yeah, it's Thanksgiving, I thought already. this year
2: it was gonna be summer the whole year, guys, yeah. <laughs>
1: Well, he's not, he's not what about here. global warming? <laughs> hopefully, um, hopefully everybody listening enjoy their extra hour of sleep um, this weekend. And you can get the rest for, for the, the week upcoming. So thank you all for listening, and we will talk to you very soon.